just can we just call can we just call it what it can we just call it what it is, Daniel? It's it's David Fincher sucking the Academy's geriatric cock. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Nerds for Hire. My name is Josh, and I'm here with my friend Daniel, and today have we got something special for you. As you know, this year in film has been quite light. Weird. Um, it's been weird. There, it's been weird. Yeah, there, not that okay. many films have come out. There, However... There have still been a lot of movies that have come out. Yes. Not my point, though. Okay. The I, I <laughs> Just in, in the, like... At, like... What am I? They're no, just, you, they're just. You've completely thrown me off my track, <laughs> Daniel. We're uh, talking about Mank and we're talking about Trial of the Chicago 7. Two entirely different films and two that are sure to be in the list of films for Best Picture. Uh, yet also, uh, you know, different, different. My God, we are off to a rocky start. <laughs> I'm not re-recording this either. Um, this is where yeah, we're going. So, One of us, so neither I'll of just... us particularly particularly enjoyed Mank. We're going to talk about that, and only one of us really enjoyed Trial yeah. of Chicago Seven. So, let's so we're going to talk about that. Let's just kind of uh, try and move past our muddled intro a little bit. Uh, with the end of the bus. Uh, no, no, you just threw yourself under that same bus, so. Um, yeah, Manx. so okay. let's talk about, Manx. so, so this is, this has obviously been a strange year for movies, but a lot of good movies have been made. We've talked previously about the old guard and Palm Springs, two movies that I don't think we've released our podcasts about, but we really enjoyed those movies quite a lot. Yeah. I don't. Think um, so there've been a lot of good movies this year. And, and as I've said before, I will push back against people who say there haven't been. However, I don't think these are among those movies, um, but we're... I disagree. But On one of those counts, uh, I disagree. Yeah, but we're talking about them because they are on Netflix. They are Oscar hopeful movies that Netflix is very much hoping will be uh, Best Picture contenders. Uh, Mank is generally regarded as the front runner now um, for a lot of uh, pretty understandable reasons, namely... Um, it checks all the kind of like Oscar boxes. It's a movie about film. Uh, it's got a well-known director. We just, can we just call? So can we just call it what it? Can we just call it what it is, Daniel? It's it's David Fincher sucking the Academy's geriatric cock. <laughs> That's what it is. Well, <laughs> it's it's not good. It's not a good film. It just has all the right pieces. Yeah. To put it, but it's up where like to put it in front of the. Well, like, I do I do think it's ugh. worth thinking about this because there's very little about David Fincher's career that would suggest that he wanted to win an Oscar. Like when he made movies like 7 and Zodiac and Gone Girl, he was not trying to win an Oscar. Like if David yeah. Fincher had wanted to win an Oscar at this point, he probably could have. It's been 6 years since his last movie. He, wa he has always wanted to make movies that are very, very different from this, that are thoughtful, mm -hmm. suspenseful, uh, kind of mindfuck movies, for lack of a better word. Um, yeah. Like Fight Club and 
all of those kind of things. Um, Wait, hold on, hold on. I didn't piece that together. The same guy who did Fight Club did this film. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, very different from everything he's done. And from what I... from what I've read, this movie a... has been in the works for a really long time, and he made it because his his dad wanted this movie to get made. So like they've been like co writing the script for like twenty plus years. So that was a fact, Daniel, that I should not have considered this early on in the podcast. That might <laughs> So this is might... so so I think this is an important thing to remember. Because this is so far afield from what David Fincher usually does that I really do think this is very much him being like, this is a tribute to the movie my dad wanted to see made. And I can respect that. It doesn't mean the movie yeah. is good, but it means that I can respect that impulse. Um, but I think we should start by just letting people know, 1 to 10, where do we fall on Mank? Where do we fall on Trial of the Chicago 7? Alright, so we do Mank first? Yeah. Uh, Mank for me is... I don't know. I would, I'm going to say a four. Okay. And I'm only saying that because I really like Gary Oldman. And so it's more of, like, as much as this is a tribute to the film that David Fincher's uh, father wanted him to make, this is, that four is just a tribute to Gary Oldman. Okay. Give me give me one moment. Never mind, the alarm's off. Okay, okay, cool. Yeah, so that's yeah, that's pretty much it. Um Gary Oldman um uh it's interesting to hear the last name Hurst spoken uh in the in the context of it being like a media of of uh what's his name Charles Hurst being a media giant. Uh, mostly because the name Hurst well, William me has William Randolph Sorry, William Hurst. Charles Dance played World William Randolph Hurst. That's where I got the confusion. Uh, mostly because I know I know of Lydia Hurst, who is an actress and wife to. Um, oh my God, Chris. Something. It's okay. Yeah, um, the guy who developed the developed Nerdist, whose name is why well, can't I remember his name. I, I've never fair, heard his name. fair enough yeah but anyway he but there yeah so i knew hearst in an entirely different light continue so I, so makes a four what's trial of chicago seven eight point seven okay eight point seven and a four um i really liked trial of the chicago seven i recognize that there are things that's okay that could be wrong with it yeah but i uh, really liked it. And I think it, especially in the, I, mean, I, I pushed for those of you who uh, don't know, which is everyone except the two people talking right now. I pushed really hard to talk about trial of the mm -hmm. Chicago seven before the inauguration. And that's because I think this film says a lot in the current. It's an interesting movie. Our, like, I think we'll have yeah. a good discussion. Um, okay. So for me, I think Mank is, Maybe a four and a half or a five. Uh, I'm not really sh like I can see what it's going for, but I don't think it sticks it very well. But when I think mm -hmm. about the movies that I consider like threes and fours, like 
Mank is better than those movies. It might also yeah. be more boring than those movies <clears throat> to a degree, but like it's better than those movies. Um and then Trial of Chicago so I said like I'll say like four and a half to five. Trial of Chicago seven, I'll go six. Six out of ten. Why? Well, we'll talk about I'm it. I'm just curious. Yeah, I'm just, uh, I, I, well, I, I have I just, some I have some pretty I think pretty valid and well formed uh, arguments for for things about the movie that I that I didn't like. So okay, um, so what more do we have to say on Mank? Um, I think we I think we have quite a bit more yeah. to say on Mank. First, first we... uh, to to give a sense of the movie for those of you who may not have seen this, may not want to see this, etc. Um, Mank is about uh, is it. Harold Mankiewicz? Is that his name? Uh, Harold Herman. Herman. It's Herman. Herman J. Mankiewicz. Herman Mankiewicz, uh, Mankiewicz, who is the brother, of course, of uh, Joseph Mankiewicz, who directed All About Eve and wrote many uh, meaningful movies and directed many meaningful movies. And Herman Mankiewicz also wrote and directed, or especially wrote, uh, I'm not sure if he directed, but he wrote a lot of very significant movies of the 30s and the 20s. Mm -hmm. uh, so he's a significant uh, figure in Hollywood history. And the movie essentially is two kind of lines of thought. There is uh, flashbacks to 1934 Hollywood, uh, and then sort of what we might call the present in 1940, where he's trying to write the screenplay for Citizen Kane. Um, and this movie argues pretty heavily uh, that Mankiewicz is responsible for writing the screenplay of Citizen Kane, which is an argument that is very much contested in film criticism. Um, Wait, but there's a debate. I see... This is before we even went into this film. I I mentioned to Daniel that I feel like I was missing a lot of the significance behind this, and film that's fair. Which is why not only it, which is why I really only, wanted you to watch it because I knew that it, you would come at it from a different angle than I would. Yeah, because I've not even seen Citizen Kane, right? Nor am I that familiar with Orson Welles, right? Other than like his reputation uh -huh. and like a general understanding of mm -hmm. of his films yeah. and stuff. so it is a highly um, contested point uh in film criticism that about who like is responsible for writing uh and to what degree each of them wrote citizen kane uh and this film comes down very very strongly in the position that mankiewicz is responsible for writing citizen so, kane so do, is it if you look at like IMDb, is it credited to multiple people? Yeah, it'll be credited to both of them. They both won the Oscar for it. Wells so, and yeah. Mankiewicz. Which is, so, which is very so, common. Like, a lot so, of the time, movies are written by two or more people. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, is the argument like who actually wrote it? Yes. Oh, interesting. Because yeah. you're right. The film does paint it as like, Wells approached Mankiewicz to write this film. Mm-hmm. And so yep. I didn't even know that there was a debate about yeah, it. Yeah, it's a pretty uh, hotly contested debate. Um, and actually, as I understand it, and I could be slightly off about this, not to bore you guys with the film criticism history specifics, there was pretty wide consensus that Orson Welles wrote the movie, 
And then in the 70s, very, very, very influential film critic Pauline Kael made a very long essay argument that said uh, Mankiewicz deserves credit for this, and this movie is very much following in line with that argument. So that's kind of the context of that part of the movie. There's also some stuff that flashes back. The way that they flash back is to imitate the style or the narrative structure of Citizen Kane, which features a plot and then different flashbacks to it. Um, I would argue that one of the film's greatest failings is how poorly it uses that structure, Um, but perhaps we'll get to that in a second. So... Um, so that's kind of the necessary background. I also want to throw out one other kind of really necessary thing, because this is perhaps the most significant thing about this movie, which is the way it addresses what we call the auteur theory of cinema. And so the auteur, or, uh, yeah, uh, theory, uh, essentially says that, like, the director is really, really significant, Uh, that when we talk about who has the vision, that we talk about directors, the way we talk about authors, the way we talk about Picasso or other, like, fine art painters, that's the auteur theory of cinema. And it got really, and, and Wells helped to kind of, Wells didn't popularize it. Criticism about Wells and Hitchcock and people like this really kind of helped to accelerate that, uh, theory. Um, and... Over the last 20 or so years, there's been more and more kind of skepticism to that, more and more people kind of pushing back against those ideas. Uh, That's a really significant point in this movie, because it's arguing like, hey, Wells is not as much of an auteur of Citizen Kane as we've kind of given him credit, because here's Mankiewicz. I also want to make that point because it's really, really valid right now, in terms of talking about the WB thing and all of these directors kind of lashing out at WB's move to pull things, if you've got Christopher Nolan and Denis Villeneuve and all these people being like, no, these films need to be shown on the big screen because that's what the filmmakers intended, they are, perhaps understandably, buying into the auteur theory of cinema that says the filmmaker, i.e. them, i.e. the director has a significant say over this movie. So I just wanted to bring that up because it's a very valid conversation that's happening right now in terms of WB, that's happening right now in terms of the movie Mank. Well, it's interesting. The the auteur thing is interesting because I I do see that still. Like, it is... There is kind of a widely held notion that the director is the like key person on any film set, whereas yeah. like TV, where like like uh, it is, it's kind of a widely held uh, notion that like uh, film is a director's medium and TV is a a writer's medium. Mm-hmm. Um, directors are more or less figureheads. I don't know if you've yeah, ever yeah. heard like any directors talk about their experiences on television shows. Um, Kevin Smith does a really good job. He's come, he's like been brought in for like Supergirl and the flash a couple times. Mm-hmm. And his comments are like, I'm mostly there to bring food, uh-huh. uh, because the writers kind of do everything themselves. Uh, uh-huh. um, which is really interesting. But 
but like this idea i think i think as an artist it's really the the idea that like one person or even just like one or two people are res are like wholly responsible for any art like film or it's, even yeah music it's is, is kind of laughable because it's mm -hmm. so much a collaboration of mm -hmm. of people like i would i would argue just from an artistic standpoint that like and even things even things down to like like a person holding a light fixture yeah, or whatever and most is, is often just as important critics land somewhere in the middle where they see the director as the most significant voice of things but i have read some critics who go extremely one way or extremely the other so it is a very uh relevant issue still um yeah so so that's kind of background on make uh where do you want to start do you want to start with the narrative do you want to start with the acting what do we want to start talking about um I mean, let's 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 like, start with I, what I was, do you if anything what was the best or most successful aspect of this movie what do you think this movie if you're gonna be as generous as possible what did this movie do well or correctly It doesn't have um, to be anything, but well, there. I mean, I I gravitate towards saying that Gary Oldman's performance was decent. Like all of it, kind of yeah. felt flat. Yeah. But in a world in a in a land of flat, in flat land, the three D person is going to stand the tallest, mm -hmm. even if that person isn't very like isn't super three D. Um. And so, like, where everyone was kind of very flat and, like, nothing, uh, I, I found Gary Oldman to stick out a little bit. Um, he does emote. There is a subtle difference between his character in the flashbacks and his character... Um, in the yeah, I think presence. I think there's supposed to be uh, a big difference, uh, but I agree that it, is, it like, comes across as pretty subtle. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You don't. I don't know. They didn't do. There's a lot of people who are kind of around the mm -hmm. cast, who you don't really understand why they're there or mm -hmm. what the significance of that person is. Yeah, like the whole thing with. MGM and Paramount like mm -hmm. historically I get what they're doing right but but they don't really explain why like why does Meyer why is he here period mm -hmm. uh, why is this big political story yeah. such a big deal right now like they kind of just hop into it and if you're not familiar with the history around it like I'm only cursor cur I'm only a little bit familiar <laughs> With cursorily is the word I was trying to say. Yeah. Uh, I'm only a little you bit have, familiar you with You have it. cursory knowledge. Yeah, I'm only a little bit aware of what was going on at the time. And so, like, it was a real struggle to, like, catch up and be like, why the hell, why are we now talking about politics? Mm-hmm. <sighs> like, what does well, that you're have not, to do? You're not alone. The movie, well, we'll get there. Um. Yeah, so that's my yeah. perspective on it, though, is that, like... <sighs> Gary Oldman was the stick out in terms of acting. Um, 
it didn't seem like other than the historical accuracy to the style of filmmaking there there didn't seem to be a reason why so like i found this out too that like the film was recorded in um mono sound mm-hmm. um and they recorded it with a single track mm-hmm. which is different so like if you know anything about audio recording typically for films and, and then music, and then ironically like dozens... and then ironically it's on netflix and no one is gonna like care no or notice care. yeah all of these like yeah we, most com- we made it compute- on celluloid and all these kind of like things so the only time mono yeah. versus stereo sound is a is obviously apparent is in surround sound or if you're in a movie theater yeah uh, or if you're wearing headphones by chance, but like the majority of us who use like our television sound or a sound bar, like it might sound really good. Doesn't yeah, mean anything. You're not going to do tell. With the tracks. Yeah. Um, and then the choice to make it black and white, like they're, yeah, but we're talking about uh, positives right now. So, well, it's so easy to, drift I know, but we got it. We got to stay divided. Uh, I liked so. the, I like, I liked the inclusion of the, uh, they're referred to as cigarette burns, but they're actually the circle stamps to mark where you would need to flip reels. Okay. I thought that was an, an interesting choice. Nice. Um, and it's probably the most significant, like, hearkening back to that time period. But I, also I have, unnecessary. I have almost as few positives about it as you. I do want to highlight one performance. I thought Tuppence Middleton as his wife Sarah was really good um especially in this especially in the second half I know you didn't watch the second half she yeah so it should be it should be made apparent I only watched half of this film because I got about halfway through and paused for a second and when I came back I couldn't like figure yeah. i couldn't rationalize continuing which is fine um, um yeah she seemed she seemed good she gets better the in the like, second half uh in a landscape and i want to note too i love amanda seyfried like she should have won an oscar seyfried for first reformed and i really like lily collins in pretty much everything that she does so yeah. there were really good people in this cast that I didn't think were up to their usual fun, standard. Fun fact about Amanda Seyfried, her character, um, Marion something in the time Davies, period. They I are, think. She's yeah, a real person. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, they're, yeah, they're all real people. Um, I got distracted. Marion Davies, uh, in the time period they are discussed. They, the film takes place is actually a year older than, um, Her uh, Herman Mankiewicz. Uh, However, Amanda Seyfried is twenty seven years younger than Gary Oldman. Interesting. So, um, Um, I thought that was a weird choice to have. Oh, there are weird choices. So that was all the positives I had to say. Uh, That that was really that was really it. Not a long list. No. Uh, So what what do you think was the absolute biggest problem with this movie uh i think i've said this before that a a for that i think the ultimate thing a film a film has to do two things these are the two biggest things for me first 
They have. I know. I mean, they have. Phil has to do three things. Daniel, three, <laughs> seven, seven things. This, here are my eighteen. Here are my eighteen points of what a good film does. A film only has to do these thirty-two things to be good, and I'm gonna <laughs> list a, a fifty-seven. Fifty-seven. No, no, no. Film has to do two things. The film has to transport you away from where you are, because that is the main purpose of a film. Um, it was. Just, I, I just want to note. A... I just want to note. I don't agree necessarily with these things as the things. So like this is Josh's these are, interpretation. These are, my personal, of, these are my personal like for a film to be. Yeah. <laughs> like just a moderate. And this isn't like takes it high and away. This yeah, is yeah. His a personal success. his personal criteria for what has makes to a trans- good film has to momentarily transport you away from your actual existence. Okay in some way it has to like distract you a little bit from what is currently actually going on or at least mm-hmm. i'll i will the caveat being films that are intentionally made made to like force you to think about things that are sure happening. sure yeah but you um, want you want to get absorbed to some degree in yeah. the world that the film is making yes right Thing number two, the film has to justify its existence mm-hmm. the film has to give you an actual reason why you are watching it yeah um just like in a courtroom you like there is justification for why Mm -hmm. you are there Mm -hmm. you have to have a justification for why this film Mm -hmm. exists first thing i found myself distracted the entire time through the first half of this film by anything that was happening other than the film yeah it's a little bit Uh, better it's a little bit better if you have captions on to track with it but it's not a lot it's still you can still get easily there is so little happening on screen at any point that it it, i it was a slog Mm mm-hmm to like just maintain slog is a good slog is a good word for it yeah and then on top of that the film doesn't really justify why it's being made like it is not what it was described as which is this is a film about the making of citizen yeah it's not really about that yeah the most you could say this film is actually about is about the state of hollywood in the 30s and 40s but even that it kind of doesn't do super well yeah and that and that Um, would be that's one of my big criticisms is that there's two movies going on here neither of which is very good there's a movie about 1934 hollywood which has moments of interest but is so loose and reckless with historical reality as well as characterization of characters that it's rendered kind of farcical and then you have a movie about 1940 where he's writing citizen kane which is like watching paint dry like it's so agonizingly boring that doesn't i mean wells is cartoonishly villainous like there's you don't ever see them together which is good because the guy playing orson wells i hated so so much i thought that was one of the worst performances i can remember in a really long time no offense to the actor who i'm sure is fine that performance was not good um as someone who has seen citizen kane rewatched it right before i watched this and has seen other movies orson welles is in that was a terrible orson welles performance um have you seen have you seen rko 281 no so that's the there so this is actually the second film based off of the making of citizen kane the first one is rko 281 which i think came out in 99 okay 
and it's it's John Malkovich as Mankiewicz. Oh, okay. And someone else as Orson Welles, who I can't I can't remember the name off the top of my head. Boy, that but, meant that meant Malkovich this, had a hell of a year in '99. Um, but yeah, I, that was so. Well, what I did instead of watching the second half of this film was look up fun facts about this film. Yeah, that's um, fair. But uh, uh, yeah, go uh, go ahead. Um, so yeah, so there's those two very distinct movies that don't relate at all. There's mm-hmm. no gestures toward the only thing that 1934 has to do with Citizen Kane is that he's interacting with the figure of Hearst. And that's it. Like that's yeah. that's it. It's trying to make political statements about socialism as a positive thing or whatever. It is and I won't bore you with the details. This movie is hysterically wrong in its characterization of 1934 American socialism as espoused by Upton Sinclair. It is so, so, so wrong in that regard that I'm just going to say that and leave it there. Because socialism of 1934 as espoused by Upton Sinclair and others is not how we think of socialism now in many, many different ways. Uh, And the the movie does not do a very good job. It, it tries to simplify that. Upton Sinclair is an okay writer uh, and a pretty decent thinker um, that is not generally treated with as much nuance as is warranted uh, in his thought and whatnot. So, hmm. the movie does not do a very good job presenting an accurate view of 1934 Hollywood. It reminded me of the Ryan Murphy show Hollywood that came out this year, which, uh, spoiler alert, you will hear mentioned in our end of the year pod wrap up podcast. And I don't have positive things to say about it. Say that last part one more time. Uh, you'll hear you this have... show mentioned, uh, which in our, show? I missed that part. Sorry. Ryan Murphy's Hollywood. Oh, Oh, gotcha. Okay. That came Sorry, out this year. Uh, and I will not be kind to it. I did not yeah. like that show at all. Uh, so and it wanna... reminded it reminded me the 1934 part of this of Mank reminded me of that with this kind of overly rose-colored glasses idealism about old Hollywood mm-hmm. that is so violently divorced from reality as to be ludicrous, like not yeah. remotely useful for anything. I want to go back for one second. I literally just want to clarify this. RKO yeah. two, uh, 281 starred John Malkovich as Herman uh, Minkowitz and Liev Schreiber as Orson Welles. Nice. Um, I'm going to have to watch I that. I think is very interesting. So, um, and yeah, that film came out in 99. Cool. So, yeah, I just wanted to clarify that really fast because so Liev Schreiber deserves his day in court. Darn um, right. Liev Schreiber's great. I just watched him in The Day Trippers and he was delightful. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, this this film yeah, it doesn't it doesn't feel it, it it feels like it's going somewhere that it never gets to. Yep. Like it feel like the purpose of flashbacks and stuff like that generally speaking is to like tie some story element in that isn't yeah, within the same time frame of what you're going for. But um, here's here's what, like but but they don't really No. It doesn't seem like they ever really get there. And here's what I think uh, I think this movie was like, oh, we can be like Citizen Kane. We will 
tell the story mainly through flashbacks and will use the similar like deep focus and whatnot that Orson Welles did and will kind of frame it differently and whatnot. And it does. It just doesn't do it well. Like the the cinematography of Citizen Kane is one of the I, th- I think it's one of the best shot movies that's ever been made. This one bored me out of my mind. Like, mm. the the camera techniques that Orson Welles uses, or that his cinematographer uses, there's a shot in early in Mank that directly rips off a famous shot from Citizen Kane, and it's super effective in Citizen Kane. I mean, it's one of the probably greatest shots in film history, I would say. Uh, and in Mank, it was like, even for me as a deep, there are things that Mank is trying to do as like an homage to Citizen Kane that come off as painfully derivative and to a point of being like callously disregarding of the source material. Like, it's not an homage. It's just like, we're just going to rip this off. And some of our audience won't even know that we did that. And yeah. like... And, and that was very upsetting to me because it was like, oh, you're trying to be Citizen Kane, but also you don't have anywhere near a good enough movie to do that. Like you're, this... you're really, uh, you're really playing with fire here. Um, okay. So thought. Yeah. This film. And then we'll move on to the other one. If the pretty soon. Yeah. This is kind of my last thought on the film. Okay. Based off the fact that Fincher also made uh, many other good movies, Fight Club. I don't know why I wanted to say Guns at Kimbo, which is a he didn't Daniel... make that one. No, he did not. Um, it was is that also a very was that good uh, was that George, uh, Greg Arkai? I don't or... know who it is. I I don't know who makes it. Who made it? I know that um, the guy who played Harry Potter stars in it. Whose name? Daniel Radcliffe. What? Thank you. God damn, I can't remember anyone's name today. Yeah, you're um, sure. That's all right. Yeah, my so my last thought kind of on this is if you if you told me based off the fact that David Fincher made Fight Club that and oh, if, if 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 it came out a year from now that Mank was just made as like a prank against the the um, Oscar Academy, it would not surprise me. Like if he was like, I did this to show you guys that you're dumb. That this film is not good. And I'm literally just pandering the entire time. Like, it feels like a... If you're... Like, it feels like a joke. Like, the film is not good. It does not... Yeah, it's... It doesn't feel genuine. It doesn't... Even the, like, quote-unquote love that it's supposedly espousing for... But some people... Some people are liking this movie, and I don't know why. And that's the thing, is that I think it's like... I, the the way I equate it is to um, sommeliers who drink faint like super expensive wine, but also cannot tell the difference between expensive wine and like five dollar wine because mm-hmm. there isn't really that big of a difference. Mm-hmm. And that's how this film feels is like people are like critics are going, oh, this is great, but they're the same critics who are drinking that five dollar wine well, and not realizing that it's the same there, quality as there are some critics who i respect quite a lot most of the time who are still enjoying this movie and i think it's because there are others who i respect a lot too that also are shredding it to pieces 
Um, it's very divisive. I'm, I haven't seen a lot of people be like, it's fine. Like, I've seen a lot of people be like, it's awesome. And a lot of people be like, this is terrible. Um, I, I almost want to say, like, the people who are... I, I either want to... I want either definitive evidence that yeah. I'm missing something or that this is a good film. I don't or think you are, though. I'm, or, or, I, or I'm led to believe that these people are getting swept up into the trap of thinking it... They're so caught up yes. in it should be a good yes, film. Yes, exactly. All yes. of the evidence right. points towards this film have, like... Yeah, it's the same thing we we just talked about this with Dune uh, last week. It will be last week for you. It will not be last week for us. Where Dune, Earlier, there are so many things going for right. it that it has no right not to be a phenomenal film. Yeah, and that's kind of the same thing here. Is that it's got so many things going for it. It's David Fincher, Gary Oldman starring in it, Charles Dance is playing one of the titular characters and playing one of the most uh, like prolific people in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, ever uh like uh, well hearst playing, was more like, of a political figure than a hollywood figure but yeah, yeah yeah but like but like the hearst family are still doing things in hollywood like right. that's how yeah, yeah. prolific their family has been right and like the the for all intents and purposes the filming seemed like solid the acting seemed solid yeah it really you really do wonder but as like, as someone does... who usually just loves these kind of movies, I really was spent most of the time watching it trying to figure out why it could be as bad as it was. I was like, yeah. why is this movie so awful when everything about it should be like it has many of my favorite actors in it. It's talking about one of my favorite movies. I love old Hollywood. Black and white is usually my jam. Like, all these mm-hmm. things that I should love about it, and I'm just like, this is not a good movie. So Yeah, so my my inclination is that there's a lot of people who are just getting sucked into, like, old Hollywood nostalgia. Yeah, yeah or they're, absolutely. They're, they're focusing so much on, like, this should be a good film that they're not willing yet to admit that it's not. And I think there's also um, some people who want so badly for 2020 to produce a really good movie that rather than looking hard enough and finding it cough cough never rarely sometimes always cough um they just go with this instead so yeah so that's where we'll leave it with mink uh oh i move I, 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 I do have one okay. other thing to say very quickly we're not, we're not done yet gary oldman <laughs> is 18 years old older than uh mankiewicz was at the time of this narrative and that bothered me a lot. He felt way too old for that character. Uh, because mm. Mankiewicz, at this time, is sort of like a midlife crisis kind of thing. And mm-hmm. Gary Oldman is clearly way older than that. Yeah. And that was very problematic to me. I wanted a different... I, I sometimes like Gary Oldman. I don't love him. Uh, I wanted a different actor in that role. I, I thought that was a bad casting choice that really messed with my perception of the character. Which is fair. I, I don't know enough about Mankiewicz to render a verdict on that. Other like I like Gary Oldman, but at the same time, age is definitely a factor, especially when you're considering uh, major life pivot points, yeah. such as writing what is considered one of the greatest films ever made. Right um and so well, and then and then at the end and then at the end you've got this title card of like he died a few years later at 55 and i can't 
be I'm sure there were many people watching the movie be like, wait, Gary Oldman Gary was Oldman younger than like... 55 in this movie? Like, no. Yeah, so, yeah. Um. Okay, that's it. Yeah, I'm good. I, there's I'm also, good. there's... There's one scene in the film. It's this. It's the scene where um, Mankiewicz uh, crashes a party. Dr- crashes the Hearst party drunk. Uh huh. And then him in which was one Marianne, of the better scenes. Uh, I thought it was aside from the. I never understood that. I didn't. Aside know from the drunk. aside from the quite bad characterization of socialism at the time, I thought that was yeah. a pretty decent scene. So well, the thing is, is that they. Ne- does it ever show him actually drinking yeah they don't make it super clear that he's drunk like that it is it is it is it is the scene is supposed to be he crashes a hearst party drunk and hearst gets angry at him yeah what you see is william or you see mankiewicz at a party and charles dance act exactly how he has in every other scene he's been in yeah um so it's either he's a very modest, good. angry person, or he just doesn't have that many facial expressions. Um, so, yeah, that, I thought that was weird. Yeah, it's a good scene, but, like, versus what it was so intended to be, I guess, it's super weird. Yeah, so we're going to move on to... Oh, shoot, I just moved my entire desk. Um, we're going to move on to Trial of the Chicago 7. Um, I like this film As you may recall, a lot. Uh, we have wildly different opinions about whether or not this movie is yeah. good. I, so so I'll, I'll kind of take point on this discussion then, because okay. um, I've been on an Aaron Sorkin kick for a while, the last, kind of the last I, year. I should um, note that I just, generally don't love Aaron Sorkin, though I do think, though I did finally, I, I like Moneyball, and I did come around mm-hmm. on the social network. I like that movie a lot more than I used to. So, Aaron Sorkin is gradually growing on me. Um, however, I don't think that that is affecting very much my ability to enjoy this movie. I have no, I have I, significant critiques that are I, unrelated I think, to the Aaron Sorkin-ness of yes. it, for the most part. Okay. Yeah. Yes, and I'm not taking it as like, oh, you have to love this because it's Aaron Sorkin. No, I just I wanted to clarify I just I wanted like to clarify the film. that, so... I liked the film a lot. Regardless, it could have been anybody who wrote it. I I would have liked the film. Um, I'm curious though. So the first thing I want to know is, okay, just generally speaking, why didn't you like it as much as I did, or why do you think you didn't like it as much? Like, what are your critiques that you have for it? So I have a few. I have a few major issues. Um, Lay it on me. The okay. So so I think my biggest issue so i i have i have issues in in a number of different ways also so i'm trying to kind of formulate these thoughts um i think that the i think that there were a lot of potentially interesting movie possibilities within this movie and none of them were fully explored like it's not all the way about specific characters to a satisfactory extent it's not all the way uh courtroom drama it's not all the way this protest drama um but so that's one issue i have another issue i have is that there are two significant obviously these sort of true life uh and i say that in quotes 
movies play around with the facts. We all understand that. That's fine. There are, however, I think two really significant divergences from history that I think are irresponsible. Uh, as those are the character... I can't remember her name. The femme fatale type that seduces uh, Hoffman's friend. She is is completely made up and does not exist in real life in any capacity. And... And that, like, okay, that's problematic. What bothers me about that the most is that this movie does not have women in it. Kind of at all. And so to have one of your only women, certainly your most prominent woman, be that cliche and boring and just villainous is very upsetting to me. Uh, And then my other problem is that Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character... Uh, his lawyer character is way more sympathetic than the lawyer was actually in real life. Um, that they kind of want to make him like sympathetic, kind of give him this like redemption arc or whatever, make him seem less of a asshole or whatever. And in real life, he was awful, just as bad, if not worse than the other guy that's painted against him on that legal team. So those, those are... Those are some of my kind of like significant real world problems, uh, with the film. Um, oh, I had one other big thing. Oh yeah. I think it, I, the other thing that I think is, is a significant issue. And I understand that this is going to be to some degree, a matter of preference is I think that this movie has very little nuance it's it comes pretty hard on the side of the the Chicago Seven. Uh, it it's very much a fan of the Chicago Seven. Um, it obviously it plays with the facts quite a bit. Uh, in order to make it that way, uh, there's pretty widespread agreement that the. Uh, when it comes to the riots or the protests, like there was like cops were, were hurt too. And, and I'm very anti-cop, but I'm also pro getting the history right. And this movie at every turn takes out nuance in favor of its political message, which is not a problem. You're allowed to do that in your movie. However, it will be something that I won't enjoy. I want movies with nuance and intrigue, and I think for a movie to be good, it can't be as one-note propagandistic as this film is. My only counter... Well, okay, so... I actually don't necessarily disagree with you on any of that. Yeah. I didn't my necessarily... Only, I didn't really expect you to. Uh, my my only counter is that where I think it succeeds is, is kind of a byproduct of everything that you're saying where I think the film succeeds is it captures the feeling of what was going on and kind of this early hope, hopelessness of like everything about what is happening right now is kind of unfair. I mean, kind of, but it, but like 80% of America at the time was against the protesters. 
Like, yeah, so that the so reason so actually, again, it's very much this revisionist history approach, without kind of giving us facts to suggest that like we know we're revising history, but here's but we're gonna do it anyway, kind of thing. Well, so I was listening to a the one of the. So I actually wanted to talk about this film in particular in almost a different light than Mank, um, which is why I've been pushing for it so hard pre, not election, inauguration. There we go. Um, well, here we are. That, um, yeah. That just, film, uh, just after they finally, the Electoral College made everything official and Biden yeah. got to win for the 95th time. Yeah. If he wins one more time, he gets a free pizza. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, that is not my joke for the record. That's a joke that's been widely passed around online for the last like two weeks. But anyway, um, yeah, it is a good joke, but, uh, there's this idea in the film. Uh, so I, one of the reasons why I think they do away with nuance is I, I, I agree with you that like, I mean, nuance is, is more is true is. True story way, movies very often do away with nuance. Like no, no, no. I'm not. I'm not. Where I'm saying, let me finish my okay. thoughts because apparently okay. they're they're coming out very difficultly today. I'm sorry. Um, no, no, no. You're you're fine. I just don't want to like move on too fast before I get the entire thought out. What I think this. I don't think this is a a film. Obvi- okay, so in courtroom dramas, it's often side versus side. It's. One mm-hmm. thing, it's one ideal versus another ideal. But where I think this film is different than that, like, thing, that idea, is that this film, I don't think this film is actually about Democrat versus Republican or, or right. progressiveness versus conservatism. I actually think it's about progressiveness versus progressiveness. Well, and that's... And I was, I was listening I to... Mean, a, I mean, what I, I, what I wanted it to be about whether this was valid or not is but this is where i thought it was going based on the first few minutes which i thought were pretty good um they show all these different people that are very clearly going to be the chicago seven and they're all talking about how they're going to go to chicago and protest um and they're really really different like we've got uh democrats we've got progressives we've got hippies we've got like Black Panther, like, we've got a lot of different walks Mm. of life that are all going to unite in a political cause. But then the movie cares very little about exploring those character differences, in part probably because a lot of the people are still alive. Um, Maybe that's part of the issue. But they they don't care very much in exploring those character differences... They just kind of group them all together. It's even in the name. It's like they're the Chicago Seven when yeah. they're so much more interesting so, as seven or actually eight individuals. Yeah. So one of the reasons why I think the the film does a good job of capturing more of the feeling than the actual facts is that uh, to the public at that time they would have like the media was and and the the way the trial was framed was these are all the same type of people right they're all trying yeah. to and so that's what i mean is that like the but the, the film the, should do the film both succeeds and fails in that aspect right like yeah exactly. yes, it makes you feel like everything is telling the public like these people are all the same but then the film also the film what it says like 
no, they're all different, but then fails to explain why. But it doesn't explain why they're all different. Yeah. One of what was I saying before? What, the the reason why I think this film though is a uh, a debate between progressives and progressives is be. So I was listening to a podcast the other day, talking about. I'm, I'm going to broadly explain the podcast and then loop back around because we don't need to go into what the whole pot the the whole thing was about. Um, the the podcast. So it was it was the podcast was factually with Adam Conover, who famously does uh, Adam ruins everything. And he had a um, a political historian on who the title of the podcast, to put it simply, was this is how conservatives won in the 60s. Okay. And how they've continued winning ever since. And this this idea gets brought up in the film, I'm looping it back, that um, culturally progressives won in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And this is what Tom Hayden is talking about, that revolution doesn't happen cult from the culture it happens through like political leaders making mm-hmm. actual change and how he's afraid that the hippie movement or yippie movement or whatever um they call it in the film is going to solely their chances of 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 legitimate um progressive political leaders rising up through the ranks to be able to take take on the conservative establishment which right. happened and the mm-hmm. reason why I think this movie is valid, um, even through all those complaints, uh, is because of that. That um, just the idea that like I'm starting. You can tell I'm starting. Well, to they just don't explore it very well. Yeah, they don't explore. I but I think it, the the it, it does a good job of bringing up this idea that isn't brought up a lot. Yes, like, but the, then they don't the, do anything with it. Like, that's what I'm saying when I'm saying that they're, like, circling, like, a lot of interesting movies. Like, there are a lot of ways that this could be done, but I think the the snappy Sorkin dialogue of it all, wanting to make it a courtroom drama when it's kind of not, or, like, doesn't need to be, to the degree that it is, um, is, I think, one of the significant issues with the film. Yeah, it has problems. I don't know if I can. It's okay if you like, like I, it. I mean, it, that's all it was right. In, I, yeah. Well, I grabbed onto that idea. Uh, well, I said that I'm not like necessarily trying to justify why I like it versus why you liked it. I, I think, sure. Well, I didn't. Um, I didn't it, like it very much, but yeah, yeah, I I liked it quite a bit. And the general consensus is that it's pretty well liked. Eh, um, it's mixed among critics. It's it's mixed. Most people uh, are like. Most critics that I've read are like, it's fine, but aren't like super excited about it. So, uh, yeah, uh, as is whatever. generally the case with true story movies, like they're, yeah. they're often divisive. They often find, uh, wide audiences that appreciate them and very few critics that give a shit about them. Yeah. It's... So it's like hidden figures. A lot of audiences loved it and a lot of critics were like it's fine so yeah i i don't know i maybe i i don't know how to describe what i'm saying um today is apparently not my day um but yeah i i liked the ideas that it brought up um yeah obviously they are in line with the ideas that i espoused before watching the film but um so i maybe i just naturally gravitate towards them um but I think the I I there. But it 
but it doesn't. In films like this, there, I, I think one of the reasons I gravitate towards it and and just liking it is because not because of like what maybe it's not because of what the movie is or but it more about what the movie did differently than other films similar to it. That's that, like, fair. It isn't, that it isn't just a film about like I don't think the it, it's just like this is the progressive argument versus the conservative argument, which I think this film could yeah, easily it's... been. It's more like this is, these are all, this is a taste of all the different factions you've got during this period. And it's... here is how culturally speaking, yeah. you, like you look at characters like Abby Hoffman and, and something Ruben, my God, my names today are just not there. Jeff, Josh, something like that. I don't think it's Jeff. Is it uh, Jack? I don't know. James. I don't know. Yeah, something Ruben. Um, and you, you look at them and you go, yeah, that was my idea of the pl- of, of progressives at that time. Right. What were these flower power hippies mm-hmm. who uh, spread slogans like drop acid, not bombs right. and stuff like that. Which like, yeah, sure, go for it. Which is but then why. At, then, but then there's also people like uh, Tom Hayden who did actually go on to be a, a, a like a political figure in California. Right, and... which is why I think there could have been a much in, more interesting movie if they'd spent more time exploring those dynamics and the different ways in which they I, saw similarly, I say... saw differently, ended up as this Chicago, this Motley crew that's grouped together... Yeah. Well, when I will say they're t- usually not going to be grouped together. I will say too that they might have to do that. They may have had to cre- like they would have had to create a f- completely fictional story, because these this is the only time that those characters are in the same place together. No, no, there I'm are- saying like while der- the trial lasts like five months. Like, I think it's don't, longer than that, but yeah. Don't, don't, like, this movie could be, there's a scene early on where they're kind of, like, in a side room, and there's, yeah. like, some great dynamics between them, and I was like, okay, sweet, this is a great idea for a movie. We're gonna get, we're gonna explore these characters in relation to each other, mm-hmm. adjacent to the trial, but instead, well, my, the movie is the trial. My question, though, is... So... My, my only... I don't know if it's a question or pushback, I guess, on that is, are there enough actual historical moments that you can point to? So, because what it seems like is they're trying to, they're trying to walk a thin line between. Well, I don't. Yeah. Like w- between what actually happened. Right. And. Which they don't do. Tell a... the stories of all these individuals and they don't do either of them very well, right. but. <laughs> Like, just, like, from a writing standpoint, doing the trial is easier because it's much more politicized. Doing the trial is way easier. You have... There's more history to point to. You have thousands of pages of court documents that tell you exactly what was said at the trial. Yeah, whereas with the the human moments that you're talking about... Yes. Are there enough recorded human moments... Well, I would I, I be would, able to I would argue a they, whole film based off of that. I would argue they make up enough that it would be the same kind of justification. The situations but, they the situation the, the there's only one thing in the movie that's been commonly pointed to there sorry, there are two things in the film that are commonly pointed to as like absolutely historically inaccurate. 
Derringer punching or Dellinger punching the um, courtroom marshal never happened. Right. Um, in fact, at one point in the trial, his son was punched and Dellinger di- didn't hit hit anybody. Right. He remained passive. I think someone else punches someone, but I can't remember who. Um, and then um, uh, the woman, Daphne, who right. uh, seduces but Ruben. The thing- However, my only thing with, with her... And yeah, I agree. There, there, like there, there are definitely there definitely were women in this in this situation that could have been more prominent. However, she also doesn't play enough of a role in the film to be worth anything. To be to be worth me like complaining about well, it. Well, but again, like it's a, a lack. It's a lack of nuance. She exists in the context of them kind of saying this, like, "See, look at all these undercover cops undermining their operation," when it's like. Yeah, maybe, but also that's not really the story you should be telling here. It's yeah. the progressive 2019 or 2018 whenever this movie was made politics getting in the way of actually telling the story. And that's the thing about true life movies is they're always going to be about the the thing they're talking about and the time that they're actually made. And you mm-hmm. have to walk a line between to what degree do I tell the true narrative of the past? And to what degree do I tell the significant narrative of the present? And I would say that this movie doesn't walk that line very well. It messes around too much with the historical fact. And when it does make changes, it doesn't earn them. Like, it doesn't do anything with them. It just uses them to further diminish what could be an artful, interesting, nuanced film that is very clear about its ideology and for that reason doesn't really have much of of value to say i in my opinion i mean yeah you're certainly free to say that i do think it has something to say and i think but is it, it but is that just like progressive yay no, I I think it it gets the message across fine. Like that's the thing is I I don't think it fails at its message. No, which is like progressives are too like I look at it as more of like a progressives are too divided to like si- like well, significantly push forward. I think that's a generous reading because it doesn't do very much to show us. Sure, it does. You have pl- you like all. You, you see that just from the non-nuanced interactions between Ruben uh, Hoffman and and uh, Hayden and the other dude whose name I can't apparently remember. Like, you see these interactions of of the Black Black Panther Party wanting no, no like, apparent... Well, inter- here's, uh, here's my coali- question. ...coalition with the other guys. Then you have Hoffman and Ruben who are... A, a, they believe yeah, in the same you, thing. You but have in them like manner, talking then... about it, but they don't show it very well, which is always kind of one of the. But here's my thing: Who's the main figure of this? Mo- who's the main character of this movie? If you had to pinpoint one main character, who's the main character of this movie? I think they tr- they probably treat uh, Hayden as the main. Because character. I would say, and I think the amount of screen time would back this up, that it's Mark Rylance's lawyer. That's the main ca- that has the most screen time and the most lines of dialogue. Which one is Mark Rylance? 
He's the defense. He's the attorney for the Chicago Seven. Oh, con- oh, consular. Okay, I just, yeah. I know, I know, I've seen him in other things. I just didn't know. His, I couldn't remember yeah. his name. Uh, I think he's pretty good. Um, but yeah, that, I thought he's he was good. he's the main focal of this movie because it's a courtroom drama, and so the lawyer is the like that's the situation, and that's kind of my problem. I think that the courtroom drama gets in the way of this being a really good and interesting movie. So. Okay, I mean you're fair to say that. I still That's my two the thing cents. is is I I don't necessarily disagree with anything you're saying. Yeah, but there's something in I don't know what it I some intangible thing about the film that it I think it succeeds at the those the more than those two qualities that I set for, forth towards Mank, which is that it transports yeah. you in some aspect away from where you are and it justifies its cre- its creation. It, whether it, it, it succeeds at what it's uh, like at the story as a whole, mm-hmm. it does justify its creation. It has a message. It's saying, and I don't, this is what it is. And I also don't disagree with that. I just want to set the bar higher and say, yeah, but does it say this message in a nuanced or artful way that justifies me spending two hours of my time with it? And to me, the movie did not. I mean, I think there are other things, like, I think the, um, I don't know, I'm maybe part of it is just that I gravitate towards Sorkin's style of dialogue writing. And uh, to maybe be it's fair, all the, maybe Sorkin, it's all the... Sorkin is at his most Sorkin in a lot of this movie. Like, yeah, maybe, they're, they're maybe... fans of Sorkin will probably love lots of the movie. Maybe um, it's that the the cast as a whole is very charismatic. Okay. Um, like I could, the I guess kind of. They're they're all very like when they're speaking, they do pull the screen towards them. Sure. Um, sure. and so if, uh, yeah, there are moments if you right. mixed in with yeah. drama. I think the ideals presented are, like whether they could have been presented as nuanced or not, uh, or more nuanced. Well, they, they uh, could have been. Yeah, that's not my point, though. My point <laughs> is that they they succeed. At, there isn't no there is no ideal in the film that is like hinted at. They're they're saying all of them. Yeah, they're just not saying them as thoroughly or as nuanced as you would have liked. Yeah, I don't want them to just say them. I want them to show me what that actually I, means. That's not my point. So, my point, though, is that yeah. there's no point in the film where you're like, I think they're trying to say this. Yeah, no, they're not subtle. Everything, they're not subtle. Yeah. No. Um, but I would, I, I almost hate overt subtlety more than I, than overtness that came out wrong but you get well to, to some degree that's like, going to be personal preference but yeah cause, uh, well because there's some films that like you're like like mink for instance where there are plenty of times where i'm like i think they're trying well, to that, say this that's but not them being subtle that's just being bad like they're just not doing a good job of saying it so yes but yeah so i'm thinking of something like parasite which is pretty subtle but also says what it's trying to say very effectively. It's hard to so hard to compare those when I haven't seen it. Well, I need to. You see should it. see Parasite. You're right, but yeah, I just need a different example. I'm just, oh, mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, All the other examples this, you probably podcast, won't have seen either. So that's fair. Uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, who knows? Have you seen Moonlight? Uh, Moonlight does that really well. No, I haven't seen. Moonlight. No, he hasn't seen Moonlight either. 
I've seen plenty of films. It's not like I only <laughs> watch action films. I see plenty of other films. Um, Daniel and I, but, in the Venn yeah. diagram of films that I have watched and the films that Daniel has watched, there are a few overlaps. There's um, some. There's some. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know why. I, I don't really want to justify why I like a film. Um, it's a fine enough movie to enjoy. I, my, my thing there's... has always been, and we've talked about this a lot uh, on this podcast, that my, my thing more or less is that, like, I want to... if my, my biggest caveat for watching any film is like, do I enjoy it? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of the biggest thing. Like the, like I, I'm as, I love good ideals. I love when a film has a message. I mm-hmm. love when there's good acting. I love mm-hmm. when there's like whatever else you will, good writing, whatever the fuck else you want to say. But ultimately <laughs> it's, 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 do I enjoy, did, do I regret or not regret that two hours I spent? What uh-huh. is the initial feeling I have to the film? Uh huh having left the movie theater uh-huh. and i watched this film the first time and i immediately texted daniel and went this is a good film i really liked this and then i watched it yesterday time is an illusion and i liked it almost just as much as i liked it the first time and that's great um, and so uh... Like, this, isn't, I'm, this isn't me fighting ideals at this point. This is me just saying, like, there was enough about the film that I enjoyed it. If you're someone who watches films like I do, then you will probably enjoy this film, too. And if I'm, you like Aaron Sorkin, you will enjoy this film. If you don't, yeah, then... Yeah, and I'm not out here to not. try and say that a person shouldn't enjoy something. However, we are talking about these movies as, like, hope... They're Oscar hopefuls. Like, these movies are in large part designed or hoping to win awards and to garner critical approval as much as they are to just kind of entertain the masses. And I think they're both a pretty bad example of what Oscar movies or what good movies with nuance and complexity should be. That doesn't mean that the trial of the Chicago seven and Mank aren't like worth watching to a degree. Um, or that you aren't free to make up your own mind. I know that there's lots and lots of crowd-pleasing movies that critics just despise. And um, that's... I don't know. Yeah, it well, happens. It so. I don't know. I don't have any more else. I don't have any anything else to say about either film. That wouldn't just be us retraipsing what where we've already gone. So, that being said, Daniel, do you have any final thoughts? In 2020, I've been really disappointed with a lot of movies, which is a unique thing for me. I was disappointed by Tenet. I was disappointed a lot by Antebellum. I was disappointed by both of these movies. Like, and I'm trying to figure out to what degree that's a a combination of me changing, which it obviously is, as well as to what degree it is like some of these movies are not very good. And so... Isn't uh, it just so 2020, though, that like there's just no saving grace it's to be like when few movies come out they suck too the the degree to which i yeah and we'll talk more about this in the future sometime but tenant really bothered me i did not like it at all and i haven't seen it yet and it well it's on uh digital coming this friday i think or maybe tomorrow yesterday I don't remember um, when. I know that I looked. I looked at the PlayStation Store yesterday, and it was available for pre-order. 
But okay. I don't want to buy it. I want to rent it if I okay. do anything. Um, I'd but see it for free, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> but yeah, so. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I obviously I liked Trial of the Chicago 7 quite a bit more than you did, and it stands out as like a highlight of films that came out this year for me, but. And that's uh, okay. I can uh, see. Again, I'm not, I'm not like trying to. I can see why a person would like that movie a significant amount more than I did. Just as I can see why I didn't like it very much. So yeah, this isn't. This also isn't to say that Daniel. There aren't films that Daniel likes that aren't subtle, and there are films that I like that are subtle. Like it's not an argument for, for or against subtlety, or I do, even for I do or love, against certain ideologies. I do it's love Hot Rod, like, and Hot Rod is not subtle. Yeah, it's uh. more. It's more just an argument on the basis of. I enjoyed it. He didn't, and here's why. Yep. Um, and so yeah. take that however you will. Uh, Daniel and I have, I think it's part of what makes this podcast kind of work is that Daniel and I have far different or wide, not far different, but like we have methods by which we watch and enjoy things. Yeah. We have and, incredibly different knowledge bases and perspectives that we bring to film and television. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, we both have strengths and weaknesses. And so, you know, take that however you will. That being said, um, I'm very excited in the coming weeks for what we have. We're going to revisit our bracket. Um, and then at the end of this year, you can look forward to a uh, best of 2020, worst of 2020 list for both film and television. Uh, we're we've granted, been putting together. Granted the fact that we will not have seen all of the things, like a lot of the movies that I'm still excited about in this year aren't going to be accessible to me till like January. So look for me to yeah, rant so about this them isn't, in this February. is by, by no means a cooperative, uh, list of every single thing that's come out this year. It's more just a, do you mean, do you mean the cumulative? Yeah. Or I do like, mean cumulative. Uh, comprehensive maybe comprehensive is what I meant to say. Okay. Cooperative. It's not that either. Not work. So no, no. uh, I, my grasp on the English language is becoming more tenuous by the day. Um, it's been a long year. What so. I mean is this is not a, uh, what I keep wanting to say cooperative list, Daniel. This is not a cumulative list or a comprehensive, comprehensive list. list of everything that has come out this year. More a list of these are the things that we caught in the midst of all the fucking chaos. Um, and, and that we want actually, to talk about in, again. In one particular, or in at least two particular cases for one of our um, categories, uh, these are the things that we didn't catch and hope are good. Yeah, yeah. Um, or think yeah. are good. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to spoil what those are right yet. It's going to be um, it's gonna be a fun show. We're all yeah, excited about it. We, so. We've begun talking about it, and we're very excited, and we're very excited to share it with you. That being said, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Nerds for Hire. We will talk to you next time. Have a happy holiday. Valiant effort.